everyone and welcome. I'm Casper, your host, and you are listening to Typical Teenager. So, it's been a minute. It's been almost three weeks, actually, which is crazy. Um, I know I said an episode every day, and for the first two weeks of October, I really thought I was going to be able to do it. Midterms, end of quarter things, and new classes came up. I forgot, I didn't have time. So, yeah. For the next few days leading up to Halloween, and on Halloween, there will be an episode every day. I know I said that last time and then I disappeared for like three weeks, but I have everything. I'm pre-recording everything, so there will be an episode every day. Um, each episode is going to be longer than usual because I'm combining stories. So these episodes are probably going to be really long. So, welcome to episode 8, and here are the stories for today. Bloody Mary, Australian Werewolf, Zodiac Killer, and the Headless Horseman. Let's get into it. Bloody Mary. Bloody Mary is a story of a woman who appears in the mirror when her name is chanted. Some stories say she's a malevolent spirit, others say she predicts the future. There are hundreds of backstories on how Bloody Mary came to be, but the most reasonable one is the one that I'm about to tell you. So in the 1800s, there lived a young girl named Mary. An illness washed over the place where they lived, making people drop dead after a short period of time. When physicians couldn't find a pulse or when they put a mirror under the nose of the seemingly dead there might not always be condensation on it from their breaths so the fallen would easily be assumed dead but were they all dead cases of people who were pronounced dead but weren't unfortunately happened a lot so when one would die people would often put a small hole in the coffin and put a piece of string through the hole that was attached to a bell the bell would hang around a stick by the homes of the deceased and if They woke up, they would pull the string, ring the bell, and be dug up. Of course, when Mary was to be, was bedridden and slowly died, she was laid in a coffin in her grave. She wasn't to be buried under just yet, it would, under just yet, it would be easier to unnail the coffin she was put away in. The string and the bell, of course, were on hand. Days passed, and then a week went by. Her parents never left the house wishing that Mary would ring the bell. Friends of parents often claimed that if she had not awoken by now, then she never would. And that day, the parents left the house with their friends and kind of didn't come up, come back. Um, when her parents had gone, a neighbor came and began to fill the grave, string and all, just in case she would wake up if she was still alive, and if so, before she suffocated. The neighbor said his remorse and walked home. Not too long after this had happened, Mary woke from her slumber and she pulled the string. The string to the bell that wouldn't be heard from her parents, who were out, and the neighbor was unfortunately too far away. She tugged and tugged at the string until the bell fell and so did the stick. She began clawing and scratching at the coffin until her fingers bled and she continued scratching until her last breath. When her parents and the neighbor arrived, they noticed that the bell was 
yards away from where it should have been. And so her dad called for his wife and they went to dig up their daughter. And when they un- when they dug her up and unlatched the coffin, they found Mary petrified and her hands were like claws covered in blood with the same white dress she'd been buried in. They put a mirror under her nose to see if her breath, if there would be condensation in her breath, but this time she was like actually dead. So her spirit was said to have attached itself to the mirror and so now anyone who says Bloody Mary three times, she comes in and claws at the unknowing victim. So the next story is quite interesting. It's the Australian werewolf. Australia's desert werewolf, the Iringa, sorry if I messed that up, are sometimes referred to as a devil dog or devil dingo. Their primary habitat is among sand dunes and desert where they keep to their own and have little contact with people. They are known to travel through sandstorms. Some believe they even manifest them with their own form of magic. And while very little is known about these creatures, they be- it is believed that they live beneath the sand. The Iringia has the shape of a man who, at the coming of a sandstorm, would lay down and let the sand cover him. When the sandstorm is over, at the cry of the butcher bird, the dune would part and he would emerge with as a werewolf. So the legend also says that these creatures don't depend on the moon to change. Instead, they depend on the sandstorm, but why they lay down is unknown. That's really all I can find for that one. There isn't much background. It's just constantly repeating the same thing over and over again. So, moving on to the next story. The next story is the Zodiac Killer. This is a case that has always been really interesting to me, mostly because of the theories, though. So, let's get into the case. The self-proclaimed Zodiac Killer is directly linked to at least five murders in Northern California in 1968 and 1969, with two other victims surviving despite their injuries. He may have been responsible for more killings, and he taunted the police, made threats through letters from 1969 to 1974 before abruptly ceasing communication. He claimed to have killed as many as 37 people, Despite investigations and multiple theories, no one no one was caught and charged for the crimes, and the case remains open. The mystery surrounding the murders has been subject to numerous books and movies, including the 2007 movie Zodiac. August 1st, 1969, the San Francisco Examiner, the San Francisco Chronicle, and some newspaper received an identical handwritten letter in an envelope without a returning address. Beginning, Dear Editor, I am the killer of two teenagers last Christmas at Lake Herman, and the letters contain details from the murders that only the perpetrator would have known. None of this information had been released to the public, so only the killer would have known, would have been the one to know this information. The killer went on to threaten further attacks if the letters weren't printed on the front page, and each letter closed with a symbol consisting of a circle with a cross through it in what would come to be known as the Zodiac Killer symbol. The letters were also accompanied by one part of a three-part cipher that he claimed contained his identity. Uh, While Bay Area Police Departments, with the support of the FBI, worked feverishly to track down the killer, another letter 
soon arrived to the San Francisco Examiner. This one said, Dear Editor, this is the Zodiac speaking. It described the murders in detail and taunted the police for not having been able to crack the code or catch him. Uh, one of the theories is that it was a school teacher because that school teacher had been in the area of the murders one night. And another theory is that it was actual it was actually multiple people who did it. I can't remember where I found it, but a while ago I saw something about it's thought to be multiple people because it just didn't feel like it was one person. But anyway, for our final episode this sort our final story this episode, I will talk about the Headless Horseman. The legend of Sleepy Hollow resurfaces every year around Halloween. Washington Irving's 1820 tale of a headless horseman who terrorizes the real-life village of Sleepy Hollow is considered one of America's first ghost stories and one of the scariest. But Irving didn't invent the idea of a headless rider. Tales of headless horsemen can be traced to the Middle Ages, including stories from the Brothers Grimm and the Dutch and Irish legend of the Dullahan or Gonsian, a grim reaper-like rider who carries his head. Elizabeth Bradley, a historian at Historic Hudson Valley, says the likely source of Irving's horsemen can be found in Sir Walter Scott's 1796 The Chase, which is a translation of the German poem The Wild Huntsman by Gottfried, I don't think that's pronounced Berger, but that's how I'm going to say it, by Gottfried Berger, and likely based on Norse, Norse mythology. According to the New York Historical Society, others believe Irving was inspired by an actual Hessian soldier who was decapitated by a cannonball during the Battle of White Plains around Halloween in 1776. As for folklore, mixing with history when it comes to the character of Ichabod Crane, the New York Times reports that this might also be the case. Ichabod Crane was a contemporary of Irving, who enlisted in the Marines in 1809, serving 45 years, but there's no evidence that the two ever met, according to the newspaper. So, there are all of the stories that I have for you guys today. Thank you for listening, and tomorrow there will be an episode. Again, I know the last time I said that, I was gone for three weeks, but everything's already pre-recorded. So, I will talk to you guys tomorrow, and thank you for listening. And sorry again for not having an episode every day.